Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to Inside Carolina's Day After Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. That's Buck Sanders, Jason Staples. one we've done this year incredible incredible that carolina played 14 football games um tough to do that and end the way it ended buck but i tell you what we were saying off air and we'll get into it during this show uh, i mean carolina played far better and f- with far more spirited energy than i ever expected and i think that says a lot about the program maybe that we didn't know yeah uh tommy we're talking about it off, off the air, but before we get any further, I want to uh, talk about uh, let's not make this uh, about uh, I see trying to claim a moral victory here. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, which we're going to get accused of doing regardless of what we say. But, um, you know, the whole lead up to this game and back when the game was announced, when I heard that they were going to play Oregon in the holiday bowl, I said, could you have gotten a worse matchup than that one? Um, if you just look at their conference numbers, just within the pac 12, number one in scoring points, number one in offensive yards, averaging 526 yards a game in the pac 12. So, I mean, this is the nightmare matchup for North Carolina, and I had no um, idea that they'd be able to come out of it the way they did. Now, there was a loss. They lost by a point. Um, they lost the last four games. That's going to be a narrative we hear all the offseason long. But 28-27, 50 uh, what is the total there? 56 points or thereabouts. Uh, did anybody have that on their bingo card? Uh, so uh, we can get into it. We can talk about it. But please, people, just chill out on the whole, oh, there's some moral victory crap talk. So, Yeah, there, there's none of that here. <laughs> Somebody... Somebody tweeted at me, um, who no longer is allowed to follow me, said, you 
folks need to stop making excuses for the defense and blah, 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 blah. Look, here's my thing, and, and I'm going to kick it to you, Jason, for some realism. When they announced this game, and even doing the lead-up shows that we did, even though I did say I felt the under was coming in one of those shows, I expected North Carolina to get the butt kicked thoroughly. And that didn't happen. So for me watching the game, it's not a moral victory. It was surprising. But there are some definite issues here that need to be addressed, and we'll address them in the postmortem shows and all that. But, Jason, your overall thoughts on what you saw. I mean, there is not a person in the world that thought the teams would combine for 700 yards and 56 points. None. Bowl season is crazy. Um, holiday bowl season is usually much more crazy. Uh, but your overall thoughts before we get into it. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I was I was thinking in terms of <laughs> we could do this show pretty easily on what I got wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That show would be a lot longer than what we got right. Yeah, I mean, th- I mean, there were certain things we did get right for sure, but I mean, there were a lot of things in this game that did not go the way that that I I expected. It certainly on the scoreboard in terms of this game, both teams being under thirty points. Now, some of that was because they didn't. Neither team executed all that well in the red zone on a couple occasions. They they, you know, they as you said, there's a lot of yardage in this game, which we did expect, but the defenses were able to get some stops and, you know, I'd said going in, you know, if the defense could, could get two, three forced two or three punts, then they'd be doing great. Well, they forced a, they, they had an INT, they forced a miss, a missed field goal was a, you know, reasonably inter, a mid, mid-level field goal. And then uh, forced a turnover on downs where they where where it could have been a punt and then two punts. So they got stops. I mean, that, that, that was much more success, I think, defensively than I expected them to have. Now, of course, they, you know, when the game was on the line, the, the defense was not able to to keep them out of the end zone on those last two drives. But, you know, still, that was not what I expected. Uh, you know, that that the, the turnover absolutely changed the game. And, you know, I, I think the other thing is that Drake May being at, 51% completion percentage is also something that I didn't anticipate coming into this game either. So, I mean, there, there were just a lot of little things that, like you said, bowl season is its own weird thing. And uh, especially when you get opt outs and, and, you know, Antoine green, who we talked about pregame is a guy that just didn't, didn't play was not, not, you know, he's apparently a little bit banged up and, and held out so he can prep for the NFL. And then, of course, we actually we had mentioned on the uh, on the radio show. Well, you know, Andre Green is a guy to watch in this because he got that that free game. We'll see if you know maybe he shows some indications of what he's got to offer for next year. He was a you know he, he was a, a a big part of that offense. Three catches and, and including a touchdown. So touchdown it, catch was really good too. Yeah, I mean he he flashed a lot of things to be excited for next year. So this game just. Really disappointing result for North Carolina, but a lot of things that were better than we expected, and some things that were not as were not as good as we expected on on, on some of this. So, I mean, it's why you line up and play it. But uh, you know, there's no moral victories here, either in terms of us, you know, getting things right or whatever. Or you know, I don't, I certainly don't think the coaching staff and players feel like, well, you know, 
we were 13 point underdogs and we covered by 12. So, you know, that's a win. No, no, they're, they're feeling pretty down today because this is a game they, they really should have won going into the fourth quarter. So yeah, just a lot to, a lot of meat on that bone and, and, uh, and a hard way to go into the, into the off season. Well, of course there is no off season, but yeah, there, there definitely is not good gracious. There needs to be a little bit. Mac said post game that he was going to take a break before he met with his crowd or his coaching staff to determine some moves. Uh, Buck, looking at this game, um, I mean, it was pretty much every game this season, right? <laughs> I mean, I've, I don't think I've ever followed a North Carolina football season that played out the same way over and over and over. Somebody mentioned Lucy and Charlie Brown. I think a Groundhog Day. I mean, nearly every game that Carolina played, except Notre Dame, uh, Virginia Tech, Clemson, Florida A&M, maybe one more in there was virtually the same game. And whatever happened, whatever changed the last month of the season or month and a half of the season, whatever magic and pixie dust and all that stuff that was in that got dropped at Wake evaporated. So why are we surprised at what we saw last night in San Diego? Well, you know, I think this probably is. I, I'm surprised along with everybody here, I did not expect a one point game. And are you talking about it being like every other game? Well, North Carolina has won six games that were decided by one score and like their average, uh, margin of victory in those six games was 3.33 ad infinitum. Uh, so then they've got three losses that they lost by a total of eight points. Um, and then you got the Notre Dame game and the Clemson game on the bad side. And then you got the Virginia Tech and Pittsburgh on the good side. So it, it's a very uh, well-balanced season if you look at it that way. I mean, they had a couple of nice victories and a couple of horrible losses. And everything else was in the middle was a toss-up, basically. I mean, how often is it that you're going to see a season where you've got nine one-score games? That's nearly impossible to do. And one of the things that I thought about uh, while I was make, totaling all that up is the Bobby Bowden's old expression. Jason, you want to inform us what, what he used to say about that? I, I leave it to you, Buck. You lose big, you lose small, you win small, you win big. And, and that's what North Carolina has to do next year. That's the mission for 2023 is to learn how to win games big. Um, there was plenty of times this year that those one score wins, they could have put their foot on the neck of some of those people and, and, racked up some points and they didn't do it. Uh, so for me, that's kind of the big lesson learned from, from this game. It's just another close game. This one, a loss and North Carolina needs to be able to just win those games and win big games. Let's talk about why they did not win this game, Jason. And I, and I think the, the major thing, and it's something that Mike harped on a lot this year is they could not run the ball when they had to. They just couldn't get it done. 
and that's been a theme all year. That's been a uh, that's been a thing watching college football teams that lose, <laughs> you know, that that lose close games as they can't run it when they had to. And this is another example. Um, do we think? Well, I don't even know how to ask that because we have no idea. But yeah, they just couldn't run it. They could not man up line up and knock Oregon off the ball enough to run the ball and salt the game away. Even though I will say this, and Jason, I want your comments on both of these things, and I'm being long-winded this morning because I'm kind of all over the place about how I feel about this one. Uh, they played more complimentary, quote-unquote, football yesterday than they've played all year. I thought that that in itself right there told me, hey, hey, maybe they finally figured it out. Um, just speak to that aspect of it. Even though it failed in the end, it certainly looked different in that regard. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that they, they stuck with the run in certain respects. Uh, the fingerprints looked a little different for sure. Um, and they slowed some things down at times to try to, to try to uh, protect their defense a little bit. I think, I think in other respects, the the complimentary football in the game was a little bit a little, we could we could overblow that just a little bit because i think the other big factor is that turnover is what really changed things in terms of of how of the flow of the game um and that allowed them some some lead and some cushion to to play from a lead which they they played a little different in that respect um so i think that's that's part of it but getting to, to your, 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 your first thing, having to do with, with being able to run the football, even though they stuck with it. I mean, Elijah Green had 17 carries. His long was seven yards. Average, 2.9 yards. There's the ball game. And, and actually, here's the thing. If you look at the numbers, so you go down the list and you say, okay, total yards, Oregon 414, and uh, UNC 335 uh Oregon average yards per play 6.7 which is basically that's just a hair over their season average and then Carolina 4.9 yards per rush Oregon 6.5 that's healthy and Carolina 3.8 okay well at that point if I'm just looking at those numbers I'm expecting a 2-3 score win by Oregon. But what Carolina was able to do was to play, I wouldn't call it so much complimentary football. They they won key situations in this game. And we've talked about that a lot, that teams can get outplayed in the statistics in terms of total yards, yards for play, and all of that. And if you don't win the key situations, you still lose the football game. And so teams that are good in key situations – win a disproportionate number of games relative to their overall talent level. And Carolina got a key goal line or a key red zone stop that turned into a, a turnover. And then that they turned that turnover into points. They got a couple other key stops where, you know, you think about how different this game is. If you've got that, that forcing a, 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 a um, turnover on downs, in the mid third quarter, 
you know, that goes the other way. And all of a sudden this game's completely different, but the defense came up with key stops in each of those cases. You think about, uh, you think about Rucker getting the fifth sack of the season against Oregon at one point. It's one play, but it's a play that completely changes a drive, right? So Carolina was able to make a few more of those kinds of plays and win in some key goal line type situations, red zone situations, short yardage situations. I mean, there are a couple short yardage situations where you could see that Oregon felt like they could line up and run the football in short yardage against a Carolina defensive line that, you know, not been great all season, but the thing that they have been pretty good at is stopping short yardage. And they got a couple stops in those cases. So it was, a there was a lot of situational success. And then of course, when they got down uh, inside the red zone, scoring on third down, what, three times on, on just absolute great throws and catches by, by Drake may and receivers at that point, those are those are the situations that in some cases this year, especially in the losses, they've not they've not done as well. And I think they did play better situational football in this game than what we've seen most of the year. And that's why they were in the football game to begin with, because overall, in terms of moving the ball, in terms of all sorts of other things, I think Oregon was the better team, as we kind of expected. It's just Carolina won those situations when they needed to. And I do think we saw a difference between southeastern line of scrimmage versus Western line of scrimmage as good as their offensive line was against, you know, PAC 12 competition and all of that, you know, four sacks given up on the year and all that they couldn't run the football against Georgia and they didn't push Carolina around up front in those short yardage situations the way they had most teams in the, in the PAC 12. It's just Carolina's overall organization in terms of run defense on certain things and, and linebacker fits and all of that weren't great. Yeah. The one thing, and Mac sort of admitted it, um, and back to your point, Jason, Carolina got stops on one, two, three, four, five stops against Oregon. None of us expected any of that. Which if is you why. told me before the game they get five stops, I'd say Carolina wins the game. Yeah, and that is – that's where I'm sort of going back to you, but with it. Um, and, and Mac discussed it post game. I can't believe they kicked the field goal there at the end. And I know it's easy oh, to sit in the back seat. And, and uh, because – you're going to lose 28-24 or 28-27. It doesn't matter. Uh, and if if somebody didn't get to play, doesn't make one play. What do you think there, Buck? I mean, I, I don't usually scream at the TV, but I was yelling at the TV enough that my dog got up and walked out of the room. Yeah, and, and you know, this is not the first time we've seen this movie, is it? Uh, it, it almost seems like you get into the late in the fourth quarter, and, and North Carolina is going to be ahead by two points or six points. You know, one of those uh, scores where you know all the other team has to do is to get that one score, and that's all she wrote. Uh, and sometimes it didn't work out for the other team, and it worked out for UNC. But really seriously, you know, it makes me think of the uh, – that movie uh, with the linebacker, what was his name? Uh, you know who I'm talking about. Brian Piccolo? No, 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 no. The, uh, water Boy? Water Boy, yeah. There we go. And, and, they're and that's at the, what I call high-quality H2O. 
and they're in, they're in the bowl game, and and the guy keeps saying, uh, "Last game of the year, you, you can't leave anything out there." And he says it about fifteen times, so the other guy wants to choke him. I guess it was Brent Musburger on the call uh, for the uh, for that bowl game. So yeah, I think in in that such a scenario. What what is the thinking that goes into saying a field goal is the right call here? Um, especially since Noah Burnett was not perfect on the night either. Uh, so uh, why not why not put the ball in Drake May's hands and see what he can do in that situation? Yeah, there, that was a uh, in a bowl game in that situation. I mean, God, I could not believe they did that. Um, and then you just knew Oregon was going to drive down, and I can't believe the. Huff High School alum from Charlotte um, banked it off, you know, bank <laughs> shot at extra points. I mean, and, and that's the thing that you, you were talking about here to a point, what Jason was talking about situational winning situations. They were very close to winning this game on that fourth and two. Uh huh. You know, that tackle six inches more in the field of play game over you know? well that was a first down if he doesn't score yeah yeah he would have had a first down but the clock was running and they they did have timeout they had they had plenty of time they had timeouts you know but you you have a chance to stop them at that point yeah i i think at that point i don't think any of us are expecting that uh that that the carolina defense is going to stop their the running game there you know on a couple plays but then again they they got stops on those short yardage situations earlier in the game, so you got a chance. You got a real chance there. If they if they just stopped on fourth down, as was my point, really. Yeah. yeah. It, uh, that game over at that point. I hated the blitz call there. I was going to say, and that's where I want to go. Is Jason? We talked about Nick's thrives in chaos and makes mistakes when he's clean, and he did it all night. They well, who they they sent seven. Yeah. Um. There. And came up just short, and Nick's made a play. Just discuss that last deal. I mean that that play for folks that don't watch Oregon, that play was Oregon football with Bo Nix at quarterback right there. That's 100%. right, one hundred percent. You bring the pressure, you get, you almost get home. Nix gets rid of it just in time, and it finds a one on one where a guy's able to able to you know win his one-on-one and that's what they do they 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 create one-on-ones and then nicks finds them and they did that in in some key situations and that of course being the 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 biggest one uh that's a game i understand wanting to put the pressure on there but i also understand like again nicks like that's playing into what he does best and you know, I want him. I I, I want to. The, the thing that Carolina did better in this game than I really expected is they covered on the back end. When they did not, I mean, they, there were times where where it seemed like Nick's had enough time to eat a sandwich back there, and there was nobody open. So I mean, that's and, and the funny thing is that this is this is after Duck and and Grimes and Kelly are gone, and I thought the secondary as, as a whole played better. Now I do question on watching the matchups and all of this, I do question how good Oregon's receivers actually are. I'm, I'm not sure that they actually have receivers of the quality of some of the ones that Carolina had played this year. Uh, but they, they had a lot of trouble creating space and getting space in the, in the passing game. And you had Nick's back there oftentimes sort of looking, looking, looking like nothing there and then kind of having a tuck or, or check down. 
And I, in that case, in that situation, I'm probably leaning towards that because that's what you've had success on all game. And, you know, again, hindsight's 2020. I don't know if I'm, you know, going to do the same thing in that case myself. So I, I just, you know, again, looking at it, you see those guys blitz and you go, no, no. And sure enough, he gets the ball out of his hands and, you know, there you go. But yeah, there's the, the field goal thing also just drives me crazy because Buck, I mean, you talked about how that's been the case for Carolina a lot. And, you know, with my Florida state background, that is, you know, that, that is nineties and two thousands Florida state football. If there is anything is being up by, you know, two or six, and, you know, you can talk to any former Florida State player, coach, you can talk to Florida State fans, anybody like that, about what they think of, of being up by two or being up by six. And then they're going to go, you avoid those numbers at all costs. <laughs> because, Absolutely. you know, and even one, you know, one, two or six, those are poison numbers. Like those are poison pills. You don't want those. Because how many times did Miami, you know, drive down for a, for a late score to go up by one, you know, after, after FSU carries a late lead of six, you know, these sorts of things. I, I just, maybe the analytics on the, on the whole, on the aggregate say, well, you know, late in the game there, you favor the, the field goal because, you know, they're going to need more than a field goal to beat you. But I'm just thinking psychologically, right? If I'm the opposing coach, if I know that I can kick a field goal to tie the way that I approach that last drive might be a little different too. Right. You think about that. You get down on that fourth seen down that play out several times. Over you get the last down on that fourth years. down situation and they don't go for it on fourth down. They kick the field goal there to go into overtime and you live to see another day. You go up by six and they know they've got to score a touchdown. And now they're, now they're actually pushing for it. And you're actually, I think in many cases more likely to, to lose because the team knows like, all right, we got to score a touchdown here and they're going to pull out four down territory in each case. And it's just hard to defend that. So, you know, and then you're, you're on the two yard line. Okay. Make them drive 98 yards to, to, to beat you. And then, you know, if they're going to, if they're going to get out of the shadow of their own goalposts and, and kick a field goal, fine. We'll live in, in overtime. I'm not, at least I'm not losing it. So in that situation, especially knowing the way that the defense, you know, the matchup there that Oregon had been able to move the football, even though the defense had gotten stops. I'm just thinking psychologically as a coach, I'm, and again, scarred from the past of watching both Florida state and Carolina football over the years with these numbers. I'm going, no, no, don't go up by six. No, no, you don't do this. You, you, you go for the up by 10 or you leave it at up by three. I'd rather be up by three than by six in that situation. And I know that's nuts in, in, in terms of you always want more points, but sometimes psychologically you don't because yeah. they're more likely to kick the field goal instead of going for the touchdown that beats you. And yeah, that, that part just that's a philosophical thing for me. So when I'm seeing that, I'm just like, I have a visceral reaction to that from, you know, being scarred by, <laughs> by past experience. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it is uh, Carolina lost to NC state, Russell Wilson, NC state, 28, oh, 27, yeah. same situation uh, years ago. I mean, those scars show up and, and it's easy to sit here, you know, in, in the way up 
and in the house and all that stuff and talk about it. But I mean, those are the type things. And this is just an aside. We talk about the Rolodex and, and the Rolodex that they go by and all the situations. Those are one of those things is that 98 yards for a field goal to tie on top of a, a parks and rec field. With a kicker that's already missed one. Yep. Down there. And also, you know, those are the type things is, is, I didn't understand the decision. Let me take a short break. Talk about Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Sponsors of this podcast, friends of Inside Carolina Premium subscribers. Look, Christmas is over, but they're still selling stuff, and they still got great, uh, great North Carolina swag. Anything you need. Uh, basketball season still rolling on. Carolina got number one point guard commitment right before the football game. Uh, Hubert Davis has got his team trending upward. They've got basketball stuff, baseball stuff coming up soon. I guess in February that starts. Johnny T-shirts got you for anything you need, anything you want, Carolina-related. Shop them. Go see them on East Franklin Street or check them out online. National guys pay the bills. It's the day after. I guess it's 9.30 a.m. on a Thursday morning. One day we'll get these weeks figured out. Buck Sanders, Jason Staples, we'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, guys, we're back. Uh, Let's sort of look forward a little bit. Uh, We're going to do a post-mortem show at some point in the next month. when the dust is settled and spring practice is just ahead. Um, and we'll talk about more then. But, Buck, here on the day after, let, let's talk about what we saw that we need to stop seeing, if there's a lack of – if there's a way to put it there. And I'm going to put it on you sort of open-ended. A lot of people want a lot of changes. Um, Mike changed the offense. The defense, in my opinion, did enough the last four weeks, even though they lost those situational plays. Uh, that Jason's talking about, but where are you moving forward for this team um, based on the season? Not one game, not four games, not 15 games or however many they played, 14 games. Where are we? Well, as, as far as a, a mini post-mortem kind of situation is where, where you're going there, number one, they, they've got to run the ball better. And how they do that, I don't care. But the fact that they cannot run the ball, um, I'm looking at the big plays here. And Oregon had five uh, rushing plays of over 10 yards against North Carolina, Uh, one of them for 66. North Carolina had three big plays rushing the ball 
two of them came from Drake May. And that's something they've got to change. They've got they've got to hit on some big plays in the running game. And they can't be always depending on Mark May to do that for them. Mark May. Ooh, Mark May. I'm May. sorry. I don't think Mark could get him. A little, little bit of a little bit of a a, a, a a senior moment there from from you there, uh, El Hefe. There you go, Drake May. <laughs> uh, but they can't always depend on Drake to get those yards for them. They've got to find another way of going about that. Uh, the longest play from scrimmage was by a Marion Hampton. Uh, he got a 17-yard run there at some point in the game. But starting with learning how to run the ball on offense is job number one. Job number two is the defensive line needs to come together and start playing up to their talent level. Thanks, Drake. Uh, and I think the secondary, and, and keep in mind, they had two true freshmen and three sophomores back there in the secondary for the game. Um, so, and they they played pretty well. Mm-hmm. Can we anybody believe that Marcus Allen led the Tar Heels in tackles yesterday? He had eight tackles. When was the last time we saw a cornerback lead North Carolina in tackles? Uh, for a game. So he, he's at least not afraid to stick his nose in there and, and to make a tackle. Uh, there's some coverage problems. Maybe they can upgrade their coverage in some areas. Um, we can talk about that you know, during the off season. But I think getting the defensive line to play up to their talent level is job number one. Is that going to get addressed during the let's change some coaches season? We'll see. Uh, but that's that's job number two is to get the defensive line to play up to their talent level. The linebackers are solid. Cedric Gray is a monster. He needs I mean, he to be just, a pro. I hate to say it, but mm-hmm. that guy's that guy's a pro. He he is just he was just amazing yesterday. And uh, Power Eccles interception. Eccles had a rough game otherwise, though. But but it was freakish, you know. And and as you said, Jason, that kind of changed the game a good bit, that interception. It was almost immaculate. It was almost immaculate. You're right. Soccer on a baseball field in a football game. Well, and, yeah. and, and, and if you go back and you watch that, Cedric Gray actually kicked it, like, intentionally with the back of his leg. So he saw where the ball had been kind of deflected a little bit. And he actually, you know, like did a little soccer kick to try to, to, to get it to deflect off his leg up in the air to keep, keep whoever was around with a chance to get it. So it was full tip drill stuff. And for him to get his leg on that, and you can see him like making the effort to try to get that leg on that. And he got it. It's an amazing play. Well, thankfully the referees didn't see it that way. Uh, Otherwise it wouldn't have been an interception. Um, But the, the linebackers, we, there's no problems there. I mean, there's some things that they can do, but Eccles can do better. And there's be better uh, coached. Uh, mm. There, there are things that could happen to improve the linebacker situation. Uh, but if the, if the defensive line can play up to their level of talent that they came out of high school with, 
then, then that completely changes the entire North Carolina defense. You go from giving up, you know, 30 points a game down to giving up 22 points a game real quick. If you could get that defensive line uh, to perform to their level of, of talent. Um, so for me, those are the two offseason priorities. Um, and, and actually, you could boil it down and say the trenches probably every year. But um, being able to run the ball better, and some of that is scheme too as well. Um, but running the ball better on offense, defensive line, playing to their level of, of talent, those are the two off-season priorities, I think, perfectly clear. Yeah. There were, in the run game, there were a couple of plays where Elijah Green just needs to step out of a tackle, and he's got all day to run. So, he, he, I agree. I think the offensive line needs addressing. They've addressed that with coaching hires. It'll be interesting to see what Randy Clements does with them. Um, they've got to be more physical. But, Jason, um, your take on just in a nutshell, mini postmortem. You mentioned coaching aspect of it. I thought the defensive line played some patty cake yesterday. Um, there were some things where I saw some guys standing straight up doing this number, you know, trying to rather than getting in there. Ladies and gentlemen, the 2022 North Carolina defensive line. <laughs> Take it over. You got it. I, I think trenches, Carolina's got to get more physical. You know, they, they've got to figure out how to get more physical. It's a football game. There's no pretty in football, especially down there. Um, but where do you think here? And I also think uh, coaches' situational football timeouts, clock management, and all that stuff's been a disaster for a long time. Anyway, you're up, Jason. I mean, you said it. I mean, this I've been beating this drum for years that if Carolina football wants to take the next step, they've got to – become a physical football program and that starts in the line of scrimmage and that starts with just the defensive line and offensive line being nasty and we don't see enough of that and they're going to have to find a way to in spring and in camp get these guys to go to war with each other and and I don't think it's a coincidence that the that the two places that go against each other are the places where you have that problem right mm-hmm the offensive line has to push the defensive line to be better. And the defensive line has to push the offensive line to be better in those cases by getting those fundamentals, right. And playing with low pad level and with just a nasty intent. And we don't see enough of that in general. The the thing that's just sort of amazing to me is you can see the potential that Carolina has physically when you see these short yardage situations, right? I mean, Oregon, like I said, it appeared to me that Oregon really believed that their offensive line, if they got to a situation where they could, uh, where, where it was, you know, a um, short yardage situation, their offensive line will be able to just line up and pound them. Their defensive line isn't that great. We'll be able to line up and, and put it between the tackles and third and one, fourth and one, we'll get that win. And Carolina wins on those consistently. I mean, you go back to the, to the Miami game and that, seven play goal line stand where they just dominated the Carol or the, the Carolina defensive line just dominated the Miami. Now, again, you have to grade on a curve. That is an FCS program, but dominated that Miami offensive line in short yardage. 
But the moment you get out of those short yardage situations, they start playing patty cake. And they, you know, you don't get that same flat back aggression, getting guys into the backfield, those sorts of things. And that's something they're just going to have to figure out how to get that to work so that those guys are going to play with that level of physicality. And so that that potential that you see when those guys flip that switch is their play in play out. And a lot of that's fundamentals. A lot of that is, uh, is otherwise, you know, is, is just mentality, but you've got to work on both of them. Uh, and I also think, you know, I, I still, I still suspect, and I know I got some criticism from some folks for, for suggesting this, but the, the degree to which Carolina depend depended on RPOs and didn't do as much, true pass pro stuff. I do. I do think that there needs to be more, a little more emphasis on pass protection, both from the offensive, from training in the offensive line and just in terms of making sure that the defense is actually going against pass protection as well. So that they're, they're getting better on the pass rush stuff. They need to find ways to get this to work complementary in practice so that they're able to generate pass rush with some of the talent they've got up front. But Again, that's fundamentals, that's adjusting how you practice, and that's making sure that your mentality changes so that you are a physical football team starting right there on the line of scrimmage. Those three things, to me, have to be the first, second, and third order of business for Carolina football in this offseason. That's what you have to improve. If you do that, all of a sudden, look, you got Drake May, you got a chance to win every game. You get that part taken care of, and now you're, you're back to – contending to to be you know in charlotte at the end of the year let me let me i'm a no offense buck i'm gonna stay with you jason here i got a question that i think is relevant um and this is sort of what randy clements talked about what what he would be looking for on the offensive side in his introductory press conference brian shank asked does physicality require that to come naturally from the players or does it have to be coached? Jason, I'll let you tackle it. Uh, the, the next response from Brian Daniels is it's both. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I'll let you go. You're smarter at it than I am. I, I have an opinion. It's definitely both, but I think it has to be coached first and foremost. Yeah. So there, so I, uh, when I, when I was coaching high school ball, uh, one of you know, I, one of the guys I coached with was uh, was Anthony Barber, actually the uh, the the old uh, NC State running backs uh, running back who you know was really re- really uh, good there. Garner uh, High School too, one of the that? best high school, one of the best high school running backs. Oh yeah, no ever. Yeah, a ama- ama- and, and a wonderful human being by the way. Uh, so coached with Anthony Barber, and Barber commented a couple times. He's like, well, there's a certain point where you can't put that dog in certain guys. Like you can tell the guys that got that dog in him when they were playing uh, uh, peewee football. And you talked about how, you know, certain guys, you know, they play peewee football early on and they learn how to, how to hit and how to take hits and all of that at that early age when it doesn't hurt as much. And then when they get to, when they get to high school or whatever, they play with that level of, you know, sort of self-abandon. And so his view was that there's a certain aspect of, you can tell which guys played when they were young. Uh, and I think he's got a point there. There, there is some of that. And I think a guy like a Power Eccles, for example, the guy just loves contact, <laughs> right? I mean, you're not going to, 
coach the physicality out of Power Eccles. But on a program level, physicality, that mentality is absolutely 100% coached. Every player, regardless of how they come into the program, you coach that toughness into them. You coach that as a point of pride. And we talked about earlier in the year, you, you know, inside run drill, goal line drills, those sorts of things. You stake a lot of those, a lot, a lot on those in practice and you coach those specific ways so that that's where the team learns toughness and learns that aspect. And you emphasize that and you empower the guys like a power Eccles or like a Rucker who, you know, you're like, look, these guys, they're naturally physical. You empower those guys to bleed onto the other the rest of the team on that. So I think that it's, uh, it's both, but when you see a, a team that doesn't have physicality at the college level, the first thing is, is I go there. That's, that's a program DNA thing. Uh, and to some degree also, there's one last thing is also has to do with how you evaluate when you recruit, right? I've had, I've helped multiple coaching staffs over the years, evaluate and recruit high school players at different points and evaluate transfers and all of that. And, you know, a couple, a couple of the coaches that I've, I've worked with or I've, I've talked to over the years, they've said, you know, th- one of the first questions they've had uh, when, you know, evaluating this or that player is, does he have that? Is he a dog? Does he have that dog in him? Because, you know, looks to me like he's got the traits. I'm not sure he's got the toughness that I, that, that I need to bring into my program. So sometimes you pass on a guy because he's just too much of a pretty boy for the kind of the brand of football that you want. So, you know, and you know, you, the guy looks like Tarzan great first off the bus guy, but just not, he, you, you watch him in high school and you just don't see the, the nasty play in play out has to just knock somebody into the stands, uh, you know, blindside style. You, you see that kind of thing and you go, okay, that's going to be a guy I can coach into this. So you have to evaluate what guys are actually going to buy into that too. And that's also an aspect of coaching is the evaluation of who you can get to buy into that. So it's all of those things. Buck, get in here on this. Uh, people are in the chat talking about program DNA and Jason nailing it and all that stuff. You know, I think, I think it's pretty, that, that for me going forward is one of the things I look at the most is, in a game like Oregon, in, in any of the games, but really this game against Oregon, it's not a talent issue. I feel like I've said this before. This is some serious deja vu. Maybe I said it last year. It's not a talent issue. Not a talent issue. It, it's, plenty of talent. it's not an ability issue. Carolina had more talent on the line of scrimmage than, than Oregon did. Absolutely. Especially when you go to recruiting rankings. Good gracious. It's not even close. Oregon's Randy better, Clint- though much they they randy clement said when he evaluates guys he's like do they really love it <laughs> uh buck obviously you can't overhaul the entire roster what's mac brown got to do to to get that dog in these trenches um uh, before you know i think before spring practice starts but during spring practice and then we'll get out of here well uh, as, as jason talked about of course there's both aspects come into it and just like when you're North Carolina was switching from traditional old school Butch Davis, John Shoup offense to Larry Fedora offense, they they changed the way they practiced and they had to. 
to uh, get used to playing at that level of tempo, to play that quickly. They had to adjust to be able to play that style of uh, football. And if you want to play a more physical style of football, you have to practice with that in mind. Uh, that's got to be part of, of your how you approach practices. Is this way of practicing going to help us when we're playing Oregon in the holiday bowl and we need, you know, a couple of yards for a first down? So there's that part. But at the same time, it doesn't explain, and I think there is an explanation, but the way you practice doesn't explain how Marcus Allen can step in at cornerback and all of a sudden he's much more physical than the guy he replaced. Uh, there are explanations for that, but they don't have to do with, I don't think, how you practice uh, because Marcus Allen has been in the same practices as the entire defense has been. He's just got more of that dog in him. He's unafraid. Will Hardy is really the same way. He's he's really kind of careless with his body, Will, uh, Will Hardy is. But these are guys that just, they want to get into the fight there and, and, and you got to have that number of players. And that starts with evaluation and recruiting and all of that. Uh, they might have all of the speed and height and, uh, other measurables that you're looking for and been very productive at the high school level. That doesn't mean that they, that translates, uh, to playing at the college level. Uh, certain players have that. Um, dog in them, as, as Jason says, or just fight in them. Um, and some don't. So it, it's a little bit of both, I think. Uh, but one of those things, uh, you can do something about with the players that you have on your roster right now. And that's changing the way you practice. Yeah. Max said 19 new guys will be there in the spring. That's a lot. And we'll see, uh, We'll see how the approach goes. You got new receivers coming in. You got especially new defensive backs. I mean, a lot going on here. A lot of questions that folks are asking in the chat. Um, somebody asked about Javante Williams. Well, he's not walking through the door, and he was special and he was different. I do find it interesting, really, that the run game may have slowed down a little bit when they settled on one back specifically. Um, and that's not a shot at Elijah Green at all. I think he's been. He's been solid and been good at times. Um, but when that rotation sort of went away, sort of maybe some of the success, maybe that's just an eye test and not a fact-based test. Anything left, guys? We're going to do a post-mortem. It's December 29th now. Probably do it in a couple weeks when the dust is settled around the program. Anything left, Jason, um, that we can take away moving forward that North Carolina fans, and shout-out to the 300 folks in the chat on a Thursday morning, you know, like I said, to open the show and off the air, this game kind of did not go as I expected, but I didn't want it to cloud what I thought needed to happen and what changes needed to be made and all that stuff. But anyway, I will remind you, Jason, of this comment that you made in August. If a certain position group does not perform much, much better, then X, Y, and Z needs to happen. Just throwing that out there for you. Yeah. 
Yeah, I uh, I believe what I had said there was uh, given the talent and now building experience at this position, if the defensive line does not take a significant step forward in 2022, then there there, there need to be some serious there needs to be some some changes made on at, at that spot in terms of coaching. Uh, now, Mac Brown can assess, and he's got a lot more years of experience than I do, and he knows Mac Brown's not an idiot. Right. Mac Brown is Mac Brown has forgotten more about football than than the three of us have probably ever known. The, the guy is not an idiot. So nevertheless, he's going to have to evaluate what the what the actual reasons are for the underperformance at that position and at that at, at that in that segment uh, and the changes that need to be made to get that improved. And, you know, that may not be the position coach. It may be how they're coaching it in terms of practice structure and schedule and what the position coach is able to do relative to other things. I mean, this is all part of the organization of a, of a, of a program, but he's going to have to evaluate what he, what he needs to do there so that that position group demonstrates better fundamentals and more hair on fire play than what, what we're seeing there. So yeah, they need to seriously evaluate that for sure. Um, you know, I, I think there are across the board on, on defense, they need to they need to do some serious self-scouting and self-evaluation of why is it that these spots consistently employ this technique that is unsound? And why is it that it's happening with first stringers, second stringers, anybody who's been in the program more than a year or two, you start seeing these same bad habits. That means we've been, you know, that means they're at least not being coached out of players. And it, in some cases, it looks like they might be getting coached into players. So that's the stuff that you have to figure out. And um, beyond that, I think you also have to figure out which of the players on this team are the kind of uh, the carriers of the, of the genetic transfer of, of the, of the, uh, uh, DNA transplant that we need to have in order to have the kind of program toughness DNA that we want. So which players can I empower in the off season and really encourage to, to influence the team in that direction. And this is where I think coming into next year, I think one guy in particular, the addition, the, the reintroduction, the readdition of, of Jaquarius Conley, is something that I think can significantly help the defense in terms of physicality. Uh, I think you need to find somebody up front, whether that's Shaw, somebody else, somebody needs to be the bell cow. Rucker is a leader there who's going to set the tone and empower those guys to hold their teammates accountable to do it right every time in practice. Uh, and, you know, offensively, you know, you look at a guy like Zach Rice adding him next year. And I, you know, I, I was, I was one of the few people early in the year who said, yeah, you know, best case scenario is he doesn't play very much this year because you really want that five-star offensive lineman. You give him a year of development and a, a year to really get into, to, to grow into a college body. And then you're in much better shape. Can he provide a little bit of, you know, physicality and meanness to that front and, and a guy that can, can, uh, change some things for you up front. They're going to have to figure a lot of those things out. I think Randy Clements is going to bring a lot to the table in terms of um, 
how they're going to practice on that side. And I hope that that works its way over to the other side of the ball, but there's a lot to talk about here. We're going to do a lot a full postmortem, as you said, but these are the things that, uh, that, you know, definitely came to my mind as, uh, as I was, as I was sort of thinking about what this game reflected for me. Buck, close us out. Last day after of 2022, number 14 on the year. Um, pretty incredible season that we've discussed here every day after a football game. But- Tommy, I'm going to jump in real quick. Sorry, last thing, and then Buck, I'll, we'll hand it off to you. Uh, yet again, we're seeing in the in the in the chat questions about the DBs not turning around and looking for the ball. Give it up. Give it up, Jason. Give it up. There's no point. I, I'm just going to say. If you are trailing the, if you're beat, if you're trailing the receiver, if you turn around and look, then you give up touchdowns. Nobody at any level of, of football, whether that's high school, college, or pro, coaches their players to turn and look for the football when you're beat. You only turn and look for the football when you are hip to hip with the player that you're that you're covering. And so you, when you're in great coverage position, you can do that. When you're out of phase, when your hips are behind his hips, you are at every level coached to find his hands. And when his hands extend for the ball, you punch through those hands. Now, guys often are not doing that correctly for Carolina, but they should not when they're in trail technique or in uh, in an out-of-phase position be looking for the football. Sorry, I this is my like three times a year kind of thing. It's come up like four <laughs> times in the last, in the comments in the last couple of weeks. I can't finish the season without doing it one more time. Yeah, if Cavazos turns around there, instead of a 15 yard penalty, it's a whatever it was. It's an 80 yard touchdown or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but your floor. Yeah. It's, it's almost in keeping Jason with the uh, thought <laughs> that people have that physically you're just as fast running backwards as you are forwards. <laughs> Why is he playing off the ball? Well, he can't run as fast. Well, anyway. Uh, uh, but I would want to uh, – I had this thought run through my head, so I feel like I got to get it out. Um, we should acknowledge that at one point in the season – uh, the starting defensive line included Des Evans, Noah Taylor, and Ray Vahasik. All of those guys were lost for the season, and Taylor and Evans were lost almost simultaneously. So they practiced with those guys. Those guys were the leaders and so on and so forth, and then all of a sudden they're not playing. So uh, I think we should acknowledge that and not to make excuses, but that's three quarters of your defensive line. Uh, but other than that, uh, I'm looking forward to whatever changes are going to come. I believe changes are going to come uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, there's a, a rumor out there that uh, Mac has given uh, Chiswick carte blanche to keep or uh, let go of any of the defensive staff that he wants to. But if Gene Chizik isn't your guy's defensive coordinator, that's not very helpful to you in your outlook. Uh, but anyway, we, we're, we're really looking forward to the rest of the uh, – uh, looking forward to talking about the offseason and, and dealing with those changes as they come up. But I'd like to thank uh, Tommy and Jason. Uh, I think this has been the most consistent 
although it wasn't always the most pleasant uh, to do the show every single time at eight o'clock until today. Today we moved it to nine. But before that, it was eight o'clock and the number of eight o'clock games that North Carolina played, it was just it's brutal. It was just brutal. And uh, it's almost like they did it on purpose uh, so that we'd all be half awake when we did this show. Uh, but I, I've had a great time. I've enjoyed it a lot and uh, look forward to doing it again next year. Yeah, we will get together. Like I said, I have no idea when. Uh, get together in the coming weeks to discuss 2022 in full with clear heads to Bucks Point. The heads are a little bit clearer this morning at 9 than they were. Whew, I got home at 3 one night and then turned around talking to you guys at 8 o'clock in the morning. It, it was a blast. It's always a blast. The, the folks in the chat, no matter when we do it, um, you guys are great. A lot of familiar names in there, a lot of unfamiliar names in there. So I appreciate y'all joining us. In St. Carolina's a spot. Shout out to Adam Smith and Ross and Siegley and Ben and everybody that's put together coverage on the football season. There's a lot of great content out there to VIP being out there doing it. Incredible team at, at, at inside Carolina. They're really, it really is an amazing group. Yeah, we got some dogs inside <laughs> Carolina, but you, you, you did well in stealing the dogs. And uh, just look forward to covering it. Nine and five for North Carolina. Somebody in the chat said it's a heck of a lot better than six and seven. Well, you were right because we've done these shows when they were two and ten. And let me tell you, I'd rather talk about nine and five than two and ten any day of the week. Uh, so it's been a pleasure. Johnny T-shirts our sponsor. Mm. Buck Woo! Sanders, Jason Staples. Shirt tells it all. There is no off season. We'll be back soon, folks. Appreciate everybody. <laughs>